Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the player that Cristiano Ronaldo actually is compared to the one he still thinks he is. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, you alright? I'm very good, thanks. My mouth's a bit a bit burny after after last night's first experience for me. Oh yes, I had yeah. no idea where you were going with that. <laughs> um, but Justin Peach, ladies and gentlemen, informed me that last night... For the first time ever at a football match, he's had a pie. How yeah. was it? It was good, actually. It was far too hot. I don't know what I was expecting. Um, it took far longer to eat than I expected it to. Yeah. Um, that's what I mean. My, my mouth feels a little bit blistered because I just I dove straight in and um, regretted it immediately. And didn't have a cold drink to cool my mouth down straight away, so I was left inhaling the cold evening air at Pride Park. Yeah, pies do that. They... Mm-hmm. It's basically like molten lava in the middle. And it's not really tasty molten lava, but sometimes when I go to a football match, I just fancy a pie. Now, I'm interested to know how you ate it, because what I... How how you eat it, rather. um, Because what I usually do is kind of destroy the roof and then eat it kind of like soup with the crust acting as a bowl. Is that how you tackled it? So I took it out of the foil um, and put it in my... Yeah, I put... (laughs) Put it, I took it out of the foil, put it in my cardboard plate, uh, whatever it was, um, and then hacked at it with a fork for the next 15 minutes before giving up and then just eating it with my hands. No, you, you've, yeah. that, that is a rookie <laughs> error there, right there. You can tell this man has never ate a pie before. What, um, what flavour was it, by the way? It was uh, vegan chicken and mushroom. I didn't realise that was an option. But you did you enjoy it? It was good. I did. I'll, I'll certainly have another one. For £4.90, though, I don't know whether that's <laughs> worth it. <laughs> Cost of living crisis. My Gosh. Lord, that is that is, that is is inexcusable, quite frankly. Um, but welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yeah, there's no championship football for the next few weeks. So me and Justin are scrambling around trying to figure out what on earth we're going to do. So today we're reacting to our league table predictions from just before the start of the season. It's time for us to take one on the chin and discuss where we went wrong or maybe even went right. It's worth saying... We won't be discussing where we think each team, where we think each teams will be finishing in this episode. You can find out more about that at the end of this show about our plans for next week. In this show, we're having more of a laid back kind of look at how silly we are, and also <laughs> it, it, think of it as kind of like a 
halfway kind of review where we're taking stock of how things have gone so far as opposed to where we think things are going to go but before we get underway let me tell you listener about our friends at fans bet the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200 sports deposit bonus of up to 200 pounds terms and restrictions apply full details on site 18 plus please do gamble responsibly visit begambleaware.org for more info and do also check out fans bet responsible gambling tools right shall we have a walk down memory lane and look back at our league table predictions from july justin i haven't really looked back at it since before this week and actually i was quite surprised because i'm not saying it just to blow smoke up our own asses i think it's actually a lot better than i remember i think Mm -hmm. the, the majority of teams we've pretty much nailed it's really just the odd three or four which we've got wrong but that's always going to happen when you're doing a league table prediction isn't it yeah when you're doing a league table prediction uh, with the transfer window having not ended with a lot of um smoke in the air i think is the word or term trying to use for, for a lot of clubs ownerships um and obviously managerial uncertainties as well it's, it's a very it's, it's really difficult predicting um a league table and obviously you've got to you've got to stick your neck out and just put it out there and take whatever flack you get um and when clubs you know either succeed or fail you, you tend to take more flack but um they are they are good fun but I, I like you i am quite surprised looking back at it now i'm actually thinking not done too badly there not, not as bad as i think a lot of uh, listeners or followers will, will make out um that we've done I think actually it may be our best league table prediction yet in terms of <laughs> how accurate a lot of the teams are. Because as I say, with the odd three or four team exception, most of them are in where they are or expected to end up come the end of the season. So we'll have a dip dive into it, shall we? Our bottom three was Rotherham, Rock Bottom, Birmingham 23rd and Reading 22nd. Now, of course, that's not a great start improving what we were just saying about this being an accurate table. But I think every championship pundit and their nan had some sort of variation of this bottom three, which makes it all the more remarkable that none of them are in there at the time of recording. They've all had good starts to the season and all three sit in mid-table at the time of recording. Um, Justin, which one were you most convinced about getting relegated? Probably Birmingham, to be honest with you. Um, I just think all the circumstances surrounding them... Um, with the ownership situation, with the lack of players in their squad, that at one point they only had seven first-team players um, training. Uh, it's just remarkable that John Eustace has not only been able to pull a squad together, but also get them playing um, a relatively attractive style of play, pragmatic at times, but actually you know, it does create a good amount of chances. And they've got the likes of Scott Hogan scoring goals as well, which he's probably had his most consistent season in a Birmingham uh, in a Birmingham City shirt to date um, so far. Um, so yeah, I think Birmingham City, I think, are the ones that I'm biggest surprised. I'm, I'm the most surprised about, but also yeah, they're the ones that I had as a as a given to go down. Just because, as I say, so much bad news surrounding them. Just it just everything was queued up for a relegation season. In our defence, when we did our predictions, they hadn't signed that midfield of yeah. Chung, Medry and Bielik, which I think was a bit of a game changer, to be fair. But at the same time, I think a lot of Birmingham fans were expecting them to go down too because yeah. of the squad being threadbare, but also the manager being relatively inexperienced. I mean, John Eustace before this had 
a spell at Kidderminster, which was fairly unremarkable, and then a spell as caretaker boss of QPR, which was fairly unremarkable. So there was all that, but then, of course, the big alarm bell was what's going on behind the scenes. And that's still happening. The behind the scenes stuff is still very much up in the air at the moment. Having said that, despite what's going on off the pitch, on the pitch, it's gone quite well for Birmingham, hasn't it? Mm. So I can completely understand why you were most convinced about them going down. And I bet you're not the only person who thought that as well, Justin. For me, it was without a doubt Rotherham. And I think it's always a big ask for Rotherham to stay in the Championship because of their recent record at this level. They've gone down at the first time of asking in the last three or four seasons now. Mm. And that's because also of the resources they have and the overall size of the club. Rotherham are a small fish in a big pond. And I don't mean that in a patronising way, it's just true. And it was made even harder in the summer when they lost two of their best players, Michael Smith and Michael Hickway in the summer. And the signings they made weren't particularly anything to shout about. But they've been great, despite the departure of Paul Warren two months into the season as well. So they have had a couple of games where they've been very poor. But they've also given the likes of Burnley, Norwich, very tough games. Will they maintain 16th in the table? I have my doubts. But as far as first halves of the season go, I don't think Rotherham could have asked for any better. No, I think there are certainly three worst teams in Rotherham because I think objective-wise, Rotherham have just got to make sure they're not in the bottom three come the end of the season. It doesn't matter whether they finish 21st, 21st by one goal or 16th they've just got to make sure they're in the championship come the end of the season that will mark a very good season for them and much needed progress from what has been um you know up and down between leagues one and, and the championship um and like you said i think they recruited relatively well i think in the forward areas probably a little bit poor like the tommies and connor washington aren't the most inspiring signings so perhaps they need to be a little bit more pragmatic than than the um uh, then, then they, then probably their squad suggests. I think their midfield's very good. The defensively, they recruited well, and they've got a yeah pretty solid um, back line and, and a good depth there as well. So, I think they've got a good enough team to to do relatively well throughout the season. But as you say, I think for me, avoiding being in that bottom three will mark a, a good season where they are now. I think is quite remarkable. So that was our bottom three of Rotherham, Birmingham, and Reading in that order from bottom to high up. Um, I don't think we can rule out any of those three being involved in a relegation battle as the season goes on. But so far, without a doubt, all three have had very good seasons in their own right. Next up, just outside the bottom three, we had Wigan in 21st, Huddersfield in 20th and 19th, we had Blackpool. Now, I remember when we put Huddersfield 20th and I thought to myself, oh, that's a spicy shout. The team who were in the playoff final last season, <laughs> finishing as low as 20th. That's a big call from us. Turns out, Justin, it wasn't big enough. No, you're uh, you're quite right. Um, I mean, for them to for them three teams to make up the bottom three now is is quite interesting. Um, I think with Huddersfield, yeah, I just think everything worked against them over the summer. Everything that went wrong, that could have went wrong, it went wrong uh, badly. Obviously, Corbran leaving when he did, um, them not having a a uh, a good successor or an experienced successor lined up. Um, recruitment was was really poor. Uh, it was just everything was just it just went to shit basically. There's no other way of describing it. It was bad. They did not recover from what was a pretty um, a pretty big blow in the playoff final. As we've said, they were just two two decisions um, away from the Premier League potentially with those those penalty shouts. That's how close they were. The game wasn't tight. Um, 
uh, the game was tight, sorry, against against Nottingham Forest, and 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 they edged it, and they just haven't recovered. And unfortunately, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's been a really really bad start. There's no there's no way of sugarcoating it. It's been terrible. Imagine saying to a Huddersfield fan, literally six months ago, that you'd be bottom of the championship <laughs> after just missing out on a place in the Premier League. It's Pretty remarkable when you really think about it, isn't it? But they have been diabolical this season. The most shocking thing of all about them is they've got five wins because I can't really recall this team putting in a brilliant performance at any point. <laughs> so the fact they've got five wins, the same number as West Brom, I think I'm right in saying, is pretty remarkable in itself. Um, they've been really bad. And it all comes down to the turmoil in the summer, losing half the squad, half of which included all the best players, we should say, as well as the manager in Carlos Corporan and the players just not being replaced. Well, the manager that came in was inexperienced and really thrown in at the deep end. Now, is Mark Fotheringham any better than Danny Schofield? Jury's still out on that one. I don't think the bottom of the table for a lack of trying. I think they've got plenty of heart and they'll work their socks off. It's just more down to the players there not being very good. Yeah. There's no other way of putting it. The players just aren't very good, um, and I think if I was to if I was to make an assessment of their squad actually and their recruitment, they've signed players who are probably going to be good in two or three years' time. What they needed right now was was players who can come in and make an impact, and they just they just didn't um, they just didn't recruit enough of them. Helix a good a good signing, for example, Michael Helix. Um, but there just wasn't enough like that. Obviously, Nakayama as well, who's now injured. Um, so squad depth is an issue. Experience is an issue. And just overall quality is an issue. It just doesn't make for pretty reading or listening for Huddersfield fans. So we had Wigan 21st, Huddersfield 20th, Blackpool 19th. Will these three teams finish above or below the dotted line at the end of the season? Find out our thoughts in next week's episode. Looking a bit higher in the table, we have Cardiff in 18th. Now, if I recall, I got a huge bollocking on Twitter for putting Cardiff so low in my table. Even you, Justin Peach, you yeah. were saying you were actually quite excited about where this Cardiff team is heading. Yeah, I was. I I absolutely was. Um, I think they recruited relatively well uh, in the summer. They addressed squad depth. Um, they addressed style of play issues in the sense that they signed players who were comfortable playing um, a more pro- progressive possession style of play. Um Unfortunately, it's just come down to creating chances for them. They just cannot create enough chances and they do not convert enough chances. And that's what it's coming down to for Cardiff City. Um, Now, you can argue that it's down to not recruiting um, enough players in the final third. And that's where I see it. I think if they had a little bit more quality there, they'd they'd be a lot higher in the table. And obviously, Steve Morrison being sacked, I don't think has helped because it's... It was just aimless and pointless for me um, by hiring Mark Hudson, who's playing a similar style of play, and he's encountering the same issues. Um, so yeah, it's it's one of those where I think if they if they bring a couple of players in January, things may improve. But for me, yeah, they are where they are because they're not scoring enough. Well, after we put Cardiff 18th, I had so many messages on Twitter from mouth foaming fans saying we're going to surprise people this season. I just didn't buy into that, and lo and behold. Look at what we're seeing now. They signed 20 players in the summer. The number of players in there with proven championship quality was small. You're talking three or four, maybe five. Just because a club signs a load of new players in one window doesn't mean it's a good window. Now, defensively, I think they've been fairly good. Cedric Kipre has been a smart signing. Perry ng has been solid. Ryan Wintle's provided a good shield in front of that defence. But going forwards, they're very toothless, aren't they? Will this have been any better with Steve Morrison still in charge? 
I'm not sure what you're basing that on, if you're saying that it would be. I said Cardiff would be looking over their shoulders this season, and unless there's a drastic improvement, it looks as if I was right. Uh, in 17th, we had Blackburn. Now, <laughs> we spoke about Blackburn a lot on the podcast this season just now. I don't think us having them 17th has any relevance to what we've been saying. We put them there because it was a new manager in the league. He's never managed him before. And plus, they lost quite a few key players in the summer, didn't they? I think we'll have more of a discussion about them next week when we decide <laughs> whether we think they'll be higher or lower. You'll never guess which way we think that's going to go. Um, in 16th, Bristol City. Now, Justin Peach actually wanted Bristol City to be higher in this table, much higher, in fact, because Justin had them down as his dark horse for the season. And they currently sit 18th. Yeah, well, let's be honest here. Um Defensively, they're just a shambles, which is arguably what's letting the team down right now, um, which has been an issue for a long time under Nigel Pearson. So for me, if they were to change that, they would be um, a dark horse still. They would be in and around the playoffs. Um, but there are just those variables that are still going against Bristol City at the moment. There's still those issues that just haven't been addressed by Nigel Pearson. Um, and he will come under more pressure as probably the season progresses if results don't improve. But if you look at their attack, for example, they're still scoring goals. They're still one of the top scorers in the division. They still create chances. Um, and on the balance of things, I don't think they've had uh, a fully... I don't, th- I don't think they've had their best eleven out yet. They've still had to change between the likes of Martin, Conway, Vyman... Uh, Semenu's not been able to get going yet. Um, uh, Wing-back-wise as well, um, Sykes has been playing right wing-back. Kane Wilson's not really had a run out. I don't know whether that's um, um, a quality issue or experience issue or Pearson just didn't quite trust him yet. I don't know. But for me, they're just... It's just defensively, that's the aspect that's letting Bristol City down, which is very easy to say because it's very obvious. But when it's as obvious as it is... um, You've got to point it out. And just defensively, they're just not good enough to sustain a top six challenge at the moment. Well, Bristol City fans were another set of supporters who gave me a lot of grief after I predicted them not to do much this season. And I once again (laughs) sit here in my podcast studio feeling (laughs) very smug. Um, There's a lot of problems with this side, which have been problems now for a number of seasons. Game management just isn't there. Only Wigan have dropped more points from winning positions than them this season. This was a problem last season too. Consistency, that one's pretty self-explanatory. And then the defence, as you say, Justin, still leaky, despite what we thought were reinforcements in the summer. Now, is this squad good enough to be doing better? Or should it be doing better, rather? I don't know. I I think so. I can see why you think that. My personal opinion continues to be, though, that I don't think Nigel Pearson is a great manager. And is he doing a job that warrants the sack? Not really, but if Bristol City want to move in the right direction, I think I'd sack Pearson and get someone else in. Someone who's a young and -and up-and-coming manager to breathe new life into the club and gets fans excited for the future. You laugh, Justin, but if Bristol City had someone like Stephen Schumacher in from Plymouth, you'd be feeling more optimistic about them then, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, champions. Exactly. Well, maybe not champions. (laughs) Maybe I won't go that far. Um, But he would fit the ball perfectly. Neil Critchley, why not? That, that's just how I see it. I don't think Bristol City will do that. I don't think they're in a rush to sack Nigel Pearson. And even when he's been under more pressure than he is now, they haven't looked close to really sacking him. So what what I see with Bristol City is a club with a lot of potential who could be doing a lot more. But I just don't see that happening until they gamble 
and getting someone who's you know more exciting than Nigel Pearson. At fifteenth, we had Sunderland. One could say this was quite an ambitious call from us, considering newly promoted teams have struggled in their first season in the Championship in recent years. Sunderland, to be fair, aren't your average newly promoted team because they're such a big club. But we have them 15th. That's where they find themselves now. So good for most, Justin. Yeah, I mean, pat on our back for getting at least one nailed on. Um, but I think they are where they are because of what they've got at the moment. And what I'm saying is, and it's a very broad statement to make, but they've got the average, uh, the youngest average age in the, in the championship. Um, they're going to go through the motions. They've been relatively inconsistent. They've not been with a forward um, for two months of the season so far. Obviously, with Stuart and Sims being injured until Sims has come back recently, Ahmed Diallo's only just got going. Jack Clark uh, had a very good sort of two thirds of the opening um, months of the season, but it's gone quiet a little bit quiet recently. Um, and I just think that's a Swiss under Noir at the moment. They've come from League One. They've got a very young squad. They lost a manager at the start of the season to to, to Stoke with Alex Neal. Mowbray's come in slightly different ideas, different approach. Um, so I think season of going through the motions is pretty much bang on with where we predicted Sunderland. And as, as I say, I think they're a team who are going for a nice transition. It's not a good, it's not a bumpy one. It's a nice transition. It's it's a bit of a it's a roller coaster going up, but it's not going to be a sudden drop roller coaster. I think it's going to be one of those that just gradually goes up continuously, and it's just a nice ride all the way along. I tell you what, it is fascinating to think about where Sunderland could be if they still had a fit Ross Stewart this season. I mean, yeah. last season in League One, I think he only missed like one or two games for them, if that. Um, but now, of course, he's missed the last two or three months through injury. And it has certainly cost Sunderland a lot of points, hasn't it? So, mm. say in this alternative universe, Ross Stewart hadn't have got injured. I reckon you'd be looking at Sunderland possibly in the top six. Because the table's so tight. They're only four points off the top six. And mm. I'd say Ross Stewart's injury has certainly cost Sunderland at least four points. Because they just haven't had that you know, finishing touch to get on the end of chances, but also when it comes to, you know, holding up the ball and just threading everything together. So, yeah, if it wasn't for Ross Stewart's injury, I think Sunderland would be miles higher in the table than they are now. It's just sometimes that's the way the crookie come rules, isn't it? Um, and then finally, to round off the bottom half of the table, we had Preston and Stoke in 14th and 13th. Just two very mid-table sides, Justin. Yeah, you've got Preston who are probably pushing up the table where Stoker looking over the shoulder but you're actually you're right they're, they're, they're the most mid-table teams in the championship they are um, in going in completely different directions as well I think as well uh, and I think that's showing in the table um, Preston are, are probably going to be looking up for the rest of the season where Stoker desperate to get to January transfer window to address a lot of squad issues um, so it's going to be a very intriguing couple of months because I think the December-January period will, will define both of their seasons coming up as to whether or not they they become a mid-table team or they can hit their objectives, whatever they may be. I can see both these teams finishing in those exact <laughs> positions come the end of the season. Hey, just let's have a quick break. After that, we'll go to the top half of our league table predictions. And then, haven't even mentioned this yet, we've still got Diddy or Didn't He to do. Welcome 
Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. So we're going through our league table predictions from the start of the season and just having a little giggle about how silly we were. Or actually, I suppose right now we're just uh, patting ourselves on the back for most of it, aren't we? Because it's just been <laughs> fairly surprisingly good. Um, in 12th place, we had QPR. Now, they're one of the teams who have surpassed plenty of people's expectations this season. We had them 12th because we just thought Mick Beal coming in, a bit of an unknown manager... But he's turned out to be the highly rated coach that many people were expecting him to be. Yeah, he's he's, he's probably been superb other than the last four games in the up to the international break. Um, he's yeah, he's been superb, and obviously was that good. He was linked with the Wolves job. Actually, you know, he was offered the Wolves job um, before turning it down and and um, and staying at QPR, which I think is a testament to him. But obviously, since then, it's gone to it's gone a bit tits up. But I think they 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 were a team that desperately needed the international break. They've got a small squad, um, so I think for for Beal to manage that squad and get them to a position where they are now, which is which is seventh, I think is quite remarkable. Um, again, uh, uh, unless they recruit in January. Um, they're a team that, that that may just miss out in the playoffs. It, it all depends on on what happens going forward. But yeah, he's he's, he's been um, he's been brilliant. I think the recruitment in this summer was was fantastic. Fullback wise, Laird and Ken of Parle have been absolutely brilliant. Sam Field's been superb in midfield as well. Um, and obviously Chris Willock, obviously being injured, was was good up until he was injured. Uh, Elias Chair. I think that's the thing actually that needs putting out. Beer was able to find a balance with both Willock and Chair in the same team. And then when when Willett got injured, Chair stepped up, which is something that Warburton struggled with. Um, so I think Bill deserves a lot of credit for that. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a steady start. Where they go from now is is a, a I wouldn't say a mystery, but um, a lot of yeah they may they may finish twelfth. I think I'd be suggesting. I'd say seventh is actually a very 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 good season yeah. for Mick Beale in his first time in charge. Of course, the last few games have taken the gloss of it because they haven't been very impressive recently. But if you took it without context and saw QPR sat seventh in the table at the World Cup break, I'd say QPR fans would be pretty happy with that considering they didn't know what to expect with this manager. So yeah, I, I think it's been a very, very good start for Mick Beale. It's just about you know turning their current form around when things get back underway. In 11th, we had... Uh, <laughs> We had Hull City. Now, I remember when we did our predictions, we said Hull were probably the most difficult team to predict because they had all these new players coming in four months later. And it's still quite difficult to predict where this Hull team will finish. They're currently 20th, Justin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a hard one because... They've got quality everywhere, but it's just about blending it all together, which is what I think the struggle has been. It's, it's the reason why they concede so many goals. Um, I just think they they they're not gelling as a unit yet, and I think that's the big, the big, um, the big issue that's presenting Rossini now. And obviously, all the lads that was sacked, there was a bit of um, a bit of turnover time with with recruiting a new manager. It took a while, didn't get the first choice in Pedro Martins. Um, so a lot has worked against Hull, but this I just think yeah, I think the recruitment in the summer. In hindsight, that's probably too many players. It was too big of a transition, um, which was just far too much for Arvalad to handle. And it's, and it's left Rossini with a relatively big job to do. But I think in terms of them finishing 11th, if they have a really good second half of the window, if Rossini gets everything right, that could happen. Um, but yeah, there's there's just a lot that Rossini needs to do, which is why they're 20th. They concede a lot of goals. They concede a lot from set pieces. They concede a lot of chances. Yeah, not not the best to start for Hull, I don't think. Yeah, I think at the start of the season, I was thinking Hull could finish anywhere between probably about third to 24th. And 
I'd still say that's still the case. Because <laughs> I just honestly do not know uh, with Hull. Maybe third's a bit of a stretch at this point, and playoffs, I'd say, would be very unlikely. But yeah, they, they could honestly, they could they could go down, but at the same time, they could have a blazing end to the season, depending on what they do in January. In 10th place, we had Coventry. Now, initially, it looked like Coventry, the one team we got horrendously wrong when they were floundering around <laughs> at the bottom of the table. It's beginning to look a lot more accurate now. They're into it as they fly up the table, currently in 11th. Yeah, they've been superb in recent weeks. Um, I think defensively, they've been absolutely fantastic, uh, which is obvious. I think they've got a match winning Victor Gilchrist. I mean, the amount of goals he scored, that's that, that has been a difference in games this season, is, is, is remarkable. Um, I think... The, you know, the work that Robbins has done with a small squad I think is absolutely fantastic if you look at other teams below him who have had to contend with injuries and rotate the team they've they've not had a, as good a season as Coventry so far um, and I think the, 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 the scary thing is I think Coventry can still get better I don't think we've seen the, the, the very best of Coventry yet they sort of the likes of Matty Godden to, to get fully fit and into the team um, I do think they can they can still improve. I do think they can still create more chances. If you go back to last season, how good and effective they were in the final third at creating chances. And I mean, you look at that Fulham game um, this time last year; they blew them away, blew, blew the league leaders away. They were absolutely fantastic. Um, I still think we're yet to see that Coventry City. I think we've seen a very um, cagey, cautious Coventry, which is absolutely um, fine if you consider where they were earlier on in the season, bottom of the table. Um, I think that that defensive foundation has, has made them, yeah, has allowed them to, to push higher up, which has absolutely, been absolutely fantastic. In ninth place, we had Swansea. Swansea were the team I had in my top six of my personal table. You had them 12th in yours. So a team we had somewhat of a disagreement over. They sit eighth in the table, but I failed to win in the last five games. Justin, are you feeling more or less optimistic for the Swans than you were at the start of the season, considering you had them actually quite low in your table? Yeah, I, th- I think if they finished eighth, I think that would be a good season again for them. Um, I wouldn't say I'm more optimistic or, or more pessimistic. I'm, I'm just sort of, I'm indifferent of where Swansea have been because I just, I think this is where You're they just might mystic. end up. Yeah, I'm just I'm just mystic with Swansea. Um, I think they've shown really good spells, and I think they've shown really poor spells, and I think that's just evened out as to where they are now. So, I mean, that, that might be telling of the uh, of the future of the season. But if you look at the likes of Joel Pirro, Michael Abafemi, they haven't really got going yet. So the fact that Swansea are eighth, I think, has actually has actually been a very good season. I think the amount of goals that they've scored is actually a major positive. Again, goals conceded is a problem. Game management is a little bit of a problem. Concede a lot of late goals as well. So there's a lot there for Russell Martin to work on. Yeah, they're one of a few sides who have quite a high ceiling of where they could potentially finish this season. It's just there's plenty of factors that will have to be addressed for that to happen. But I'd say Swansea will definitely be fairly happy with how the season's gone so far. In eighth place, we had Millwall. Now, we were both quite hot on Millwall heading into this season. You in particular definitely had them... um, you were feeling definitely quite hot about them, weren't you, considering you had them in your top six, Justin? They're sixth right now. Another one which is fairly accurate, to be fair to us. It just depends on whether they can break that glass ceiling of finally finishing in the playoffs after threatening to do it for the past few seasons. They've got the squad to do it. I think Gary Rao has tapped into a style of play that is um, that is improving uh, the players. They're creating more chances. I think they're away form. They've got the second worst away away form in a division, so it just goes to show how much improvement Millwall can do and how high their ceiling could be this season if they just 
start to level out away from home. So I've been fairly surprised with the um, with the progress of Millwall, considering how poor they were looking at the very start of the season. There's been that change to a four-two-three-one, and they seem to be getting the best out of the individuals they have. So I think if they persist with that formation um, and style of play and start to implement those new signings that haven't yet hit the ground running, the likes of Styles, Honeyman, Shackleton, there's a lot there to like about Millwall this season. I just, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, very, I'm still very high on them. I think they can, they can do very well this season. It's just whether that away form improves. Yeah, it's funny with Millwall, isn't it? Because for a team like them to be sat sixth at the World Cup break is a huge achievement like a yeah. really really impressive achievement but it hasn't really been shouted about much by us any other championship pundits for that matter yeah and i think that's just because they've just been ticking over going under the radar and just getting results on the board i mean the home form seven wins from 10 games at home it's bloody impressive in itself the, the question marks we had at the start of the season were how would the new signings click? And, I mean, Zion Fleming's been one of the best midfielders in the division this season, hasn't he? But then you've got other players like Callum Styles, who's also come in. He's been really, really handy too. And then some of the lads who were there from last season, the likes of Billy Mitchell, uh, Danny McNamara, both young lads who have been exceptional this season. So... It's it's all about the unit at Millwall. It's always been mm. about the unit at Millwall as opposed to individuals. But now they've got that kind of X factor added into the equation as well with Zion Fleming. And I think that will go a long way to where they finish this season. I think they still need to get a striker in January. And where they ultimately finish may depend a lot on how that goes. But without a doubt, for Millwall to be sat sixth, considering the financial power of them compared to the other teams up there as well, I think is actually a really, really impressive achievement so far for Gary Rowett's boys. In seventh place, we had Norwich. I actually forgot we had Norwich to finish outside the top six <laughs> in our predictions, Justin. That was the one where I was like, ooh, I completely forgot about that uh, when we actually had a look back at it. I think from memory, one of the problems I had was I didn't know how good a manager Dean Smith was. And I don't feel like I've got any answers on that front, Justin. Now, the questions that you could have had about him before were all about his spells at Brentford and Villa. Brentford did a great job there, working with uh, what he had and making you know the players there better. Um, whereas Villa, he had a lot of financial backing and it probably should have gone a lot better than it did. Now, mm-hmm. at Norwich, obviously, it's been loss after loss after loss in the Premier League. They've come down, didn't start off great, then had that amazing run... Now things have started to flatline a bit and that's why Norwich fans aren't particularly happy with where the club is. Because without a doubt, this club, uh, this squad should be looking at the top two. Right now, I don't think they will finish in the top two, but a better manager might be able to make that happen. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Dean Smith is a manager who you have at your club before things get better, if that makes sense. I think if you look at even Aston Villa, I know Stephen Gerrard's tenure wasn't that great, um, but Dean Smith provided a very solid platform for Aston Villa to build to a more positive future with better players, good players. And it's the same with Brentford. They recruited the likes of Ollie Watkins under him, Rico Henry, um, and they progressed brilliantly. Um, and, they, and they made a lot of money uh, from selling players under Dean Smith as well, from his coaching, improving those players. Uh, before Thomas Frank come in and Improve them. I think he's just a manager you you have at your club um, who provides a solid platform for you to build on. 
and then he leaves or gets poached or gets sacked and then another manager comes in and gets the best out of that squad and I think that's what we might see with Norwich I think we'll have if he does get sacked I think the next manager will come in and just tap into what is expected of them um, and until that happens I just don't think Norwich will be a automatic promotion contender I think Dean Smith's holding them back a little bit I still rate him as a coach but probably not for a team pushing for, for, for a top two push uh, finish I could get behind that I think if you want to get to the Premier League you've got to have a manager who arguably should be managing in the Premier League I'm not sure Dean Smith should be I think he is a championship manager someone who if he was at like a Millwall, for example, someone who was looking to bridge that mm-hmm. gap from, you know, regular championship side to actual promotion contender. You'd want him to bridge that gap, but I don't think he can actually get you to the Premier League with a, with a lack of resources. And Norwich are a club with resources, but now they're being held back a bit by Dean Smith's tactical... Um, What's the word? Insecurities. Insecurities? Uh, Not the word I was looking for at all. Tactical flaws is probably a more accurate word than I was looking for. So we'll go with that. Um, In sixth place, Justin, we had Burnley. Now, I think this is the one where I feel like we got it the most wrong. I say that because Middlesbrough and Rusbron, we weren't the only ones to expect them to do well and extenuating circumstances are meant that's not been the case. Well, at the start of the season, we clearly didn't fancy Burnley too much based off the league predictions. That was because they had an unproven manager in Vincent Company, but mm-hmm. maybe we badly underestimated how good that squad is. Having said that, there's a few players who were unknown to us who have been excellent, and I don't think we could have expected them to be as good as they have been. Yeah, I, I still think I, I disagree with you. I think it's a fair assessment of Burnley because if you look at the players um, that they they brought in, they a lot of them were unknown, but they still brought in some tidy signs. Ian Martson, for example. Murich was a, an up-and-coming keeper. Um, they still had the likes of Jay Rodriguez, uh, Jack Cook, Josh Brownhill there as well. So they had a, a solid a solid group of players. So I think a top six push would have been a fair assessment. And then obviously there was the, from my perspective anyway, there was that um, uncertainty around company and his style of play. There was the transition that it would have to make under him um, going from... Route one, four four two, etc., to more progressive position style um, under under company, and I think I think that was the most surprising thing is how well they've taken to it, and I think it just um, exemplifies how good a coach company is. Um, I think there's a lot of credit deserves, de- deserves to go his way. I think for him to be top with Burnley, I think is a remarkable achievement. I think if they were in the top six, I still think that would be a really good achievement for for Burnley. Um, and I think this season the sky cliched the sky is possibly the limit under him I'd agree I think the fact that we had them sixth is kind of a reflection of how good the job Vincent Company has done because he had a lot of question marks to answer right how will this relatively unproven manager do in a country he's never managed in before how will he get the club to bounce back from relegation how will he integrate 22 new players many of whom have never played in this country before even if he did all that and they were sixth I think that would still be quite impressive but the fact they're top Having only lost twice, five points clear a third, you add that in that he's also completely changed the style of play, like literally polar opposite style of play, then it's a pretty remarkable job, isn't it? Mm. I know we've praised him a few times now on this show, but I don't think it can be praised enough how well he's done because it's very, very remarkable, actually, because he's had to change essentially everything and still he's getting results on the board. Mm. In fifth place... West Brom, 
Now, I vividly remember saying that West Brom had the best squad on paper heading into this championship season. Something I actually stand by at the time um, because they had a defence of Furlong, Bartley, O'Shea, Townsend, a midfield of Livermore, Mowat, Swift, Wallace, Grant and then DK up front. That's a very talented team. Unfortunately, though, having a talented team doesn't necessarily mean success at championship level if you've got a manager who's not very good and the club in general just being very poorly run, Justin. Yeah, I think that comes down to it. That I think it's more so how poorly run the club is. Obviously, giving the the reins to Ron Gordy to recruit, how they recruited those players, i.e., through relationships with the manager, I think is quite scary. Don't even want to think about how they negotiated the contracts and what the potential salaries of those free transfers are, are on and how much budget they've eaten up. But nonetheless, they're still talented players, um, and they should be getting more out of them based on um, based on how good they are. And, possibly how how much they're, they're potentially earning but that's obviously just speculation at the moment um yeah it's been it's been a poor season um and I, as i say i think that's just down to the fact that they're, they're so poorly run because even if steve bruce um had a poor start you react don't you as an ownership you go right you're not the man for us we'll replace you and it took them far too long to to remove him and bring someone else in and if you look at the the, the impact carlos Cobbin has had over the last two weeks three clean sheets in four games i think is um you know, a nice, um, a nice insight into what the future could look like. Clean sheets, results, results football. That's what West Brom need. That's what this squad's built around. Is built around results football. I think Colburn could tap into that a lot more. So, whether they finish in the playoffs or not, it'll be. I mean, it has to be a remarkable run. But it's been a disaster under Steve Bruce, and I think that's the best way to sum it up. Amazing, absolutely amazing that West Brom are twenty-first despite having won the last three games. Usually they'll send you flying up the table, but it says a lot about how miserable things were under Steve Bruce that they're still so low in the table despite their recent form. Fourth place, we had Watford. We had Watford fourth. That's where they currently are. Wouldn't surprise me if they finished around there at the start, at the end of the season. Haven't got much more else to say on that, Justin. Um, Third place, Luton. I famously had Luton in the automatics in my prediction and... I'd say that had every chance of becoming a reality. That was until Nathan Jones left, however, and now I'm not too sure. It depends who they get in, I suppose. But even then, it would have to be, you know, hitting the ground running at a pretty extreme rate for the new manager to get the automatic promotion train back on track. Yeah. Have you, I mean, have you ever had a treadmill at top speed and then jumped off the sides and just tried to get on it straight away no i I'm, I'm a lot more responsible when it comes to my treadmill etiquette but the metaphor i think works possibly for luton if you know perhaps let the owner's got to come in just slow the treadmill down a little bit i.e the expectations um so the new manager can come in and just have a gentle start rather than getting on it trying to run and possibly burning their face on the rubber belt that is the, the the treadmill um that is the best analogy i could have for luton right now is they're going through that little bit of a transition maybe it may be temper expectations hopefully tempers yours i don't think they are were automatic promotion contenders even under nathan jones but i certainly think that they've got a good enough squad for a promotion push it's just whether or not that uh, the manager falls off that treadmill or not well the playoff push is definitely well on the cards since they sit 10th at the table now, one point off the top six. New manager can definitely come in and uh, continue this squad um, and the development that it's shown so far. Second place in the automatics, we had Sheffield United, another team who sit exactly where we had them in the table and I'd say are a good bet to finish there too. Uh, don't know if you've got anything else to add there, Justin? 
I just think the season that they've had, considering the injuries that they've had, has been absolutely brilliant. Um, 11, 12 players out at a time, not even had their, their first 11 out. We obviously put a clip out on social media earlier on in the week. I saw a comment um, saying how many players had got out, and it was basically a starting 11 other than the goalkeeper. A very good starting 11 that could probably push for a top six finish in the league. Um, that's you know, starting 11 of players out injured currently. It's just absolutely remarkable. And I think if Paul Heckingbottom has all of that together, they could have easily had a season where they've pipped the record for um, for the points record because they're a side that's built on clean sheets, um, attacking flair um, and just everything else that yeah, a good promotion team needs and a good manager who's tactically aware. Um and I think you know the injuries are, are scuppered that, but they certainly have got the potential to have a good season. It's just whether or not they can get players out of the physio room. Yeah, it's definitely hinder them, isn't it? So the fact that they are still well on track is pretty impressive. They have got a lot of squad depth, but that squad depth has certainly been tested already this season, <laughs> hasn't it? And it's a long old season that we're not even halfway through yet. So um, whether that gets tested even more as the season progresses, we'll have to wait and see. And then finally, of course, at top of the table, we had Middlesbrough. The reason I pause is because when people talk about us as championship experts, every, most people seem to say, oh, well, you guys had Middlesbrough top of the table. So you're clearly not championship experts, are you? I don't know who that was an impression of, but... I feel like it was fairly accurate. Um, all the ingredients were there for Middlesbrough to win promotion this season, weren't they? The best manager yeah. in the league, a very good side, which we thought would get stronger before the transfer window closed, which it did. However, when you're making your league table predictions, you simply can't legislate for a side imploding because the manager's relationship with the club hierarchy was just terrible. I think we can blame Chris Wilder's ego for this. I, I am. I think his ego got away from him. Justin, um, I'll happily blame it on him as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, we can deflect all we want, um, but we'll still get called a virgins and melts or whatever <laughs> on socials. But as I say, I think it's Chris Wilder's ego that has just contributed to this really poor season for Middlesbrough so far. Um, mainly with signings. You look at the signings they were going for. Dean Henderson was his number one choice for a goalkeeper. Get your head out of your arse, man. What's going on? <laughs> Like no disrespect to to, to Chris Wilder or Middlesbrough, but Dean Henderson was going for a World Cup place at that time. He's not going to drop into the Championship. His wages would have been high. He was angling for a Premier League move. He got it in the end, and it left Borough scrambling around for their first choice options. They want he wanted Tom Heaton, who was Man United's third choice keeper, very good goalkeeper, but perhaps not the goalkeeper he needed. And they ended up with Zach Steffen, who had a very poor start to his career under Chris Wilder at Middlesbrough. Um, so I think that's just where it stems from. Chris Wilder's ego. Um, because they've got a good squad and Carrick's tapping into that now. They also wanted the likes of Jakobsen from Preston, Jokerez from Coventry. Yeah. I think Wilder's expectations in the transfer window were wild. fairly wild, wild for <laughs> which is the perfect term in this uh, circumstance. Yeah, and he he just threw his toys out the pram, didn't he? And mm. I don't know what what he really expected. I think that's just not realistic for a championship side, especially one that hasn't got parachute payments. So Middlesbrough has still got the chance of getting promoted this season. I mean, not too long ago, I looked at it and thought, top six, I, I don't see that happening. But the 14th in the table now, four points off the top six. So Michael Carrick has got this team going in the right direction, just coming off the back of a fantastic win away at Norwich at the weekend. 
they can definitely challenge for promotion still. It's just if everything had gone plain sailing in the summer, <laughs> then maybe this wouldn't have been as uh, much of a roller coaster season as it's uh, turning out to be with Middlesbrough. And um, Justin, we're going to not do any news in this show just because it's the World Cup break. There isn't that much going on. So over the next two or three weeks, while it is the World Cup, we'll do our news roundups in Sunday's episodes. Um, so in that case, we'll go straight into this. Diddy? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they've played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We're taking in turns to guess them and we keep scores as the season goes on. This week, it's my turn to guess and Justin's turn to provide the questions with the scores 57-50 to my colleague, for the season. So, uh, Justin Peach, I'm ready to go when you are. I've done my research. I Instead of assuming that a player hasn't played for a club, I've I've looked into it. and That's always good to know that you're not just making things up as you go along like you have been recently. Well, that's just, just, it's just Sean Derry syndrome, all right? And I just wrongly assumed he was with Neil Warnock at Sheffield United when he wasn't. He was just with Sheffield United before Neil Warnock was at Sheffield United. If only there was a website or a database or an ins- a, 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 a sort of pedia, perhaps, where yes. you could go on and just look at every club a player's played for. That would be handy, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I, I, and I have used that resource um, uh, this, this week, thankfully, and just hope that my editing skills in that resource has, has paid off to delete said appearances from, from these players to show that they never, ever played for the football clubs and queue up some more points for me. Can I have the first question, please? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Danny Higginbottom, Nottingham Forest. Yes. Are you sure? Yeah. You are correct. Six appearances on loan in 2012. Yeah, vaguely recall that one. Next one, please. Yeah. Hayden Mullins and Watford. Don't know Hayden Mullins' career very well, but I'm going to say yes. You're incorrect. He did not play for Watford. Who am I thinking of? I don't know. Did he, he manage co- Watford? Yeah, 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 he was his caretaker manager. That's why I threw that one in. Yeah, yeah. Cheeky, okay. eh? You are very cheeky. Next one, please. Dave Kitson and Middlesbrough. Yeah. Yeah. You... Yeah, Lone Spine 2009. <laughs> Justin, I can't put that in the podcast. <laughs> Don't say it again. (laughs) (laughs) I think whenever whenever anyone mentions Dave Kitson, they might know what you're talking about, but you can't say that. Okay. Say what? Next one, please. (laughs) Two out of three for me so far. Dealey Eddie Boulder and Crystal Palace. Yes. Are you sure? Yeah. Do you remember it? No. Okay. Well, he did. He actually made 39 appearances, 0203. He was one of those players that I had to double-check. For, for some reason, when you name Dele Alibola, Crystal Palace are one of the first clubs who come to my mind. Having said that, he's played for a lot of clubs, hasn't he? So. Yeah, he's, I think, eight clubs throughout his career, which is more than I thought. Next one. Please. Patrick Berger in Stoke City. Bloody hell. <laughs> um... Patrick Berger is a name I have not heard in an extremely long time. Played for Villa, played for Pompey. Did you say Stoke? 
Yes. I think he did. Are you sure? Not particularly, but I'll say yes. Had a spell at Liverpool. Yeah, I forgot he was at Liverpool as well. He's quite a good player, actually. He scored that he unbelievable goal, didn't he? Um, I'm sticking with yes, please. You are correct. He made seven appearances on loan in 2006. Just seems like a very Stoke signing. Yeah. Uh, next one, please. The next one is Jake Bidwell and Millwall. So Jake Bidwell was at Brentford and then he went to Swansea and now Coventry. What was his career before Brentford? Don't particularly know. But I reckon Justin Peters going down the route of just plucking a random London club out of nowhere and linking that to Jake Bidwell. So my instinct is saying no. Your instinct would be correct. I went psychological with this one. He actually came through at Everton and went to Brentford. Didn't but I just that at all. I just thought solid left back, Millwall. He wow. looks like a, an ex-Millwall player as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, that means the score is five out of six so far. Four remaining. You're doing very well. Rob Horse and Charlton. Now, I'm going to say yes. I can't picture when that would have been, but my instinct is saying yes. And I always trust Ryan Dilks' instinct. Interesting. Interesting. You would be correct. Learned about in 2012. If I was to say Rob Hulse and the NHS, what would you say? I'd say yes, because he's now a physio. I know that because I've tried to get him on the podcast multiple <laughs> times, but apparently he doesn't do media interviews anymore, which is very disappointing. It is very disappointing. That's not a bonus point, by the way. Next one is Ibrahim Asonko and Hull City. I've got six out of seven, by the way. Sonko and Hull City, another player whose career I don't really know very well. Uh, no. You're Actually. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Might want to get VAR on that one. No, I, I'll, I'll, I'll let you take the point off me. Loan spell in 2009-2010. I think under Nigel Pearson. I don't know, it might have been the season before. I'm, I'm pretty sure in 90% of occasions, Justin Peach asks me if I'm sure before we move on, but I'm willing to let that one slide. Six out of eight. John Parkin and Bolton Wanderers. Another player who... I don't really know his early stages of his career... Yeah, he's played. No, no, he's not. He, he's played for a lot of clubs. And Bolton in the Premier League early on. So unless he came through there. No, I don't think so. Are you sure? It's pie no. country. It is pie country, but I'm going to say no. You'd be correct. You'd yeah. Be correct. That's very devilish of you. You've picked the most Bolton player ever. Nines. Finally, this is the last one. Seven out of nine. This is for me to take the lead. Chris Rigger in Cardiff City. Yes. Are you sure? I think so. Are you double sure? I'm sticking with it. <laughs> You'd be correct. Two appearances in 2010. Don't know why I know that, but it, it rang a bell with knowledge. me. There we go. Eight 
out of 10. That is a very good score on Diddy or Dinty. And that means the score for the season is 58-57 to myself. Still very tight. I keep thinking... At some point, are we going to start to see a clear front runner? But doesn't seem to be the case here on Diddy or Didn't He. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Now, of course, no football coming up this weekend. So on Sunday's episode, we'll be doing our halfway team of the season. Who have been the best players in the championship so far? Find out in the show coming up this weekend. Me and Justin have already had a bit of a discussion about it. We are in agreement with most of the team. It's just a couple of positions which we still need to have a scrap over. Uh, But you can find out the end result of that in Sunday's episode. And then next week, you've got a two-parter coming your way where we'll be going through each championship side in the league table and playing a game of higher or lower. Do we think they'll be finishing in a better position or worse position come the end of the season compared to where they are now? So that's going to be very interesting, ladies and gentlemen. You don't want to miss it next Thursday and Sunday. But of course, this Sunday, we've got our halfway team of the season, which is always very enjoyable. So this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We look forward to seeing you again on Sunday. I've been Ryan Zilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,